John chapter 4, I'm going to read to you the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman found here in John chapter 4. And I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to obey Jesus. To do what God has commanded us to do. Which is to go and sow. So let's read this. Beginning in verse 4. John chapter 4 verse 4. But he, Jesus, needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. It was around noontime. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drink from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have said well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They, said, they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have had, excuse me, he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that he, both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with, him, with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Father, I ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds, prick our hearts today, discomfort us, Lord, Motivate us to obedience, to go in your name and sow the good seed of the gospel in the fields that you have placed us in. Lord, we ask that you would do this for your glory. We ask that you would remind us that it is not only our command from you, but it is our privilege from you to be co-laborers in this harvest. We ask this today, God, that you would do it by your spirit and you would do it for your glory, that your church would be glorious and glorify you in the earth. Amen. So in this story, Jesus goes through Samaria. Now, just to give you a little backstory, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. They didn't, they didn't fellowship together. They didn't break bread together. They were... They were like oil and water. They didn't mix. The Jews thought that the Samaritans were worse than unbelievers. They were a mixed breed of Jew and Gentile. And the Jews believed that the Samaritans were traitors, that they weren't true uh, descendants of Jacob. And so there was this tension between Jew and Samaritan. And Jesus 
going through Samaria, stops at this well, and the Samaritan woman comes out at noontime, the time of day when no one was going to be at the well, the hottest time of the day, the time when most people were eating lunch and getting ready to take a break from the heat of the day. And she probably came here because of her reputation. As Jesus points out, she had had five husbands and she was living with a man now who was not her husband. So she was probably not a woman of the best reputation in her village and probably liked to come out when she would not have to encounter a lot of people. And on that day, not by chance, mind you, but by divine appointment, she comes to the well at noon to draw water. And who might be there but Jesus? And Jesus is sitting at the well, and she comes to the well, and she goes to draw her water, and Jesus says, woman, give me a drink. And startled because here is this Jewish rabbi, and that's what Jesus was. He was a Jewish rabbi, and so she knew by looking at Jesus that he was a Jew, and she said, what is this? A Jew asking a Samaritan woman for a drink. And so the discourse begins. Now I want to point out a few things in this verse, in, this, uh, in these verses to you. I want you to point out that Jesus initiates the conversation. And this is something you need to understand, that God is always the initiator. So what God has done in your life, God hasn't done in response to you God initiated the conversation with you. God initiated the relationship with you. Just as he did with this Samaritan woman. He initiated the conversation with her. Otherwise, she would have drawn her water in silence and she would have left and never had an exchange with Jesus because she didn't want to have an exchange with Jesus. And this really is the condition of all of us. We don't want to have an exchange with God, but God, in His grace and in His mercy, initiates the conversation with us and forces us in that way to respond to Him. Just as Jesus initiated here and drew a response from this woman. So Jesus initiated the conversation, and then Jesus begins to tell her about himself, though she's not understanding. She thinks he's talking about natural water, but he's talking about living water. He's talking about himself. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about this living water, this bread of life that was sitting in her presence. And he said, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me for a drink and I would give to you living water and you'd never thirst again. How many of you have ever drawn water out of a well with a bucket? Now, me and, uh, me and Caleb and Roland went to fix Jan's well. Jan gets her water from a well. She has a pump. She doesn't have to draw it with a bucket. But we went out there to fix her well and understand Mr. Rao was the technical advisor on the uh, job here. And... Uh, and, and so it was my job, because I don't 
I'm not real mechanically inclined, and electricity scares me, especially electricity around water. And so he was inside the place where the well pump and the electricity was, and I was outside with Caleb, and there was this old well casing, and there's the well. And so in order to prime the pump, we had to lower a bucket down into that well and draw that water out so that we could pour it into that pump and prime the pump. Well, it didn't take very long. I think we had a, I, I don't know if it was a five gallon, I think it was a three gallon bucket is what we had. But it didn't take very long of pulling those three gallon buckets out of that well. And I said, you know what? I have a new respect for those ladies in the Bible who had to go and draw water from the wells. Because I know they didn't have three-gallon plastic buckets. They had masonry jars. They had big containers. And they'd have to go and fill those containers and either draw them up or carry them up and, and fill those big containers with water. And if you think about how much water it would take to live and you got to walk to a well a good distance and then you got to walk back to your house and you got to carry all that water after you've drawn all that water out of the well, it's a lot of work. And so this lady, this is what she's doing. She's getting her water. Jesus said, hey, if you would have known who you're talking to, you would ask me. And she says, man, if you can give me water and I'll never thirst again, tell me about that because... It's a lot of work coming to this well and getting water every day. So Jesus initiates the conversation, and then Jesus begins to tell her of himself. And after Jesus tells her of himself, he then tells her about herself. And Jesus does it this way. Now remember the scripture we read in Proverbs. The refining pot is for silver, the furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Now notice how Jesus tests the heart of this woman. Look at this in in verse 16. After Jesus tells her about this living water, and if she drinks of it, she'll never thirst again. And she says, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now, she didn't, he, Jesus didn't just say, go tell your husband about me. He said, go call your husband and come here. Jesus doesn't just tell us to go and tell. Jesus says, go and tell and come here. Go call your husband and come here. And the woman says, I don't have a husband. And she could have said, okay, I'll go, I'll go get him right now. I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you, you speak truly. 
you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. He revealed her sin, and she knew it. And the discourse goes on, and they start talking about worship. Then the disciples come back, and they're wondering, what in the world is Jesus doing talking to the Samaritan woman? You should look at verse 28. So Jesus initiates the conversation. Jesus commands her to go call her husband and come here. In verse 28, it says, The woman then left her water pots and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? We are all called to be sowers. Mark 4, 14 Jesus uttered these words, the sower sows the word. This is the parable of the, of the sower and the seed. Jesus is referring to in Mark 4.14. But just this very small verse, these, these five words of Jesus from Mark 4.14. The sower sows the word. That is the task of the sower. The task of the sower is to sow seed. And we are called to be sowers. We are called to be sowers and our task is to sow the seed of God's word. To purposefully saturate our field completely. Now I'm just going to step out on a limb. I'm not a farmer. Billy Ragland's a farmer and I'm going to guess. Roland Rowell's a farmer and I'm going to guess when... When Billy and Roland get ready to plant a crop in their field, let's just say they've got a, a hundred acre field and they want to get a hundred acres worth of harvest, guess what they don't do? They don't go and plant 10 acres worth of seed and expect a hundred acres worth of harvest. So when a farmer goes out to his field, he saturates his field with seed. We are commanded, we are called to be sowers, and we are called to purposefully saturate our field completely. Every corner of the field should be saturated. The farmer, listen, the farmer is unaware of which soil is richest, there are no guarantees concerning which seed will grow and which seed will not. The sower simply sows with confidence. It is the nature of seed to sprout and grow. And when the kingdom is in view, the seed in the parable is the word of God. Specifically, it is the gospel. The sower sows the seed. The sower sows the word. And the more sowers we have in the field, the more seed that will be sown. So we're all called to be sowers. We're all commanded to go and to obey. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 28 and let's look at the Great Commission. 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. That's a command, church. It's not a suggestion. Jesus doesn't suggest that we go. He commands that we go. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey, to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, Go. All authority has been given to me. Go therefore. Our obedience to the Great Commission directly impacts our seed sowing. And specifically, we are commanded to go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all things that Jesus commands. The task of making disciples is teaching obedience to the commands of Christ. Now, we're not saved by our works. And we are a gospel-centered and a grace-centered church. But the gospel of grace doesn't diminish the command to obey. In fact, the gospel of grace, I believe, magnifies and enhances the command to obey. Please notice that Jesus commands us to teach them to obey. He does not simply say, teach them all things that I have commanded. Jesus commands us to teach obedience. Why? Because it is through obedience that we come to maturity. It is through obedience that we become healthy disciples. In our Bible study on Sunday morning, on the suffering, on suffering in the sovereignty of God, we, we talk a lot about this. Sometimes we go through difficult times. We, we experience suffering in our life and we think God is punishing us. Your suffering is not punishment. The punishment we deserve is death. The punishment we deserve is not a few moments or a few months or a few years of hardship. That's not what we, we deserve much more than that. The Bible is clear. What we deserve for our sin and our rebellion against God is death. No, when God is sovereign, He is sovereign over everything. When God allows us to go through suffering, it's not for our punishment. It's for His purposes. Hebrews brings this to bear in a, a very practical way. When the writer of Hebrews talks about fathers... When a father disciplines his children, he does so because the child is legitimate. It's really his child. You don't go around disciplining children who aren't your child. No, we discipline our own children, and that discipline is an indication that they are legitimate children and that they are loved by their father. Because a father who loves his child will discipline his child, not for the purpose of punishing them, exercising his wrath upon them, but discipline is not pleasant. It can be difficult. It can be painful. It can be hard. 
But the purpose of discipline is love. It's loving correction. Why? Because obedience produces healthy life. If you go through life disobeying all the laws and all the rules, tell me what your life is going to be like. Our prisons are full of men and women who have gone through life disobeying and they're reaping the consequences of it. So the point of obedience, and Jesus doesn't just teach us to go and teach his commands. He commands us to go and teach obedience for the purpose of becoming healthy disciples, mature disciples. Simply teaching the commands of Christ does not in itself make healthy disciples. It is obedience that sets a man on the right path. Obedience is the center of the Great Commission. We are commanded to go. And this command recorded here in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 was given to all believers. It is a command not just to the 12 disciples of Jesus. It is a command to every disciple, to us today. Any believer who is not spreading seed is in violation of this command. And the only way to overcome sin is to repent and turn from sin toward God. We must expect obedience from all believers. Jesus expects us to obey. That's how you and I have come here today. Do you realize that? We would not be in this building talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ if there were not men and women throughout the centuries who obeyed the commission of Jesus, who went out and they sowed seed. And they spread the gospel. And all of us are products of that seed sowing. All of us are, are parts of the harvest. We are all the harvest of those who have sown the seed. We're the fruit of that seed sowing today. Here we are 2,000 years on the other side of the cross. There was not a Taylor, Texas in existence when Jesus died on the cross, but it did exist in God's eternal plan and purpose. And it was the faithful, obedient seed sowing of saints throughout the ages that have brought us all to this place today. So where will your legacy lead to? Will it lead to rooms like this decades from now, centuries from now, barring the return of Jesus, of others who will sit and hear and be equipped with the gospel to go out and sow seed? I hope so. So we're all called to sow. We're all commanded to go. And we are all qualified. We're qualified to go and to sow. Now, we may feel as though we or others are not qualified to go. You may feel not very confident in your gospel presentation. So we put these demands on ourselves and we put these demands on others and we justify why we don't go. Because we say, well, we're not qualified. No, we are all qualified to go and to sow. So the question arises, who is qualified to go and sow the seed of the gospel? And the reality is that all believers are called to sow. All believers are commanded to go. Therefore, 
anyone committed to obedience in the name of Jesus Christ is qualified to go and sow and partner in evangelism or partner in the harvest. The story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman gives us the proper understanding concerning who is qualified to go and sow and call them to come. So if I ask you the question, who is the, the, the greatest evangelist of our time? The overwhelming, actually they've done surveys of this, countless surveys. And when surveyed, people said, the greatest evangelist of our time is... Billy Graham. So let's think about the qualifications of Billy Graham. Is Billy Graham a male or a female? He's male. What is Billy Graham's education level? What's his level of education? He has multiple degrees. Dr. Billy Graham. How long has Billy Graham been a believer? The answer is since a very young age. What is Billy Graham's reputation? Well, it's very good. In case you didn't know it, he's advisor to presidents. He's pretty well-known, pretty trusted. Seems pretty qualified to go and sow seed and preach the gospel, right? How would you describe Billy Graham's lifestyle? Righteous. There's a qualified seed sower right there. And that list could be used to describe any number of evangelists, known or not known, in our own minds. But when applied to our own lives, when we apply this key question of who is qualified to go and sow, these qualifications severely limit the number of candidates that are qualified based on these qualifications to go out and sow seed. So if we take Billy Graham's qualifications and apply them to our own lives or to other people's lives, I don't know how many of you would be qualified, but I'm not qualified based on Billy Graham's qualifications here. I don't meet all those qualifications. Who was the evangelist in John chapter 4? <coughs> Who partnered with God to share the good news of Jesus? You see where I'm going? It was the Samaritan woman. Now let's look at her qualifications. So Jesus won her and then sent her to call her husband to come here. To come to faith. She was a tremendously effective evangelist. She went into the city, and the Bible doesn't say she went to her live-in boyfriend. It says she went to the men of the city, which means she went straight to the leaders of the city and said, I found the Messiah. You guys come with me. In fact, bring the village. So within this story, the whole village was pointed toward Jesus and the result was many believed in Jesus as the Savior. So let's look at her qualifications. She was a female. What was her education? More than likely, she had none. Zip, zero, nada. Not in terms of formal education. 
How long had she been a believer? When she went to spread the good news? <laughs> Not even a day. I mean, we're talking, we're talking hours at most. What was her reputation like? What was her reputation? Not a good one. She had five husbands. She had a living boyfriend. She was not a woman of great reputation in her community. She would have been considered probably a woman of ill repute, of ill reputation. How would you describe her past lifestyle? Mm. Not, not very righteous. But yet, think about this. Out of all the disciples that Jesus had at his disposal, Jesus chose this woman to go and spread the gospel to that village. This is not the person that we would have chosen to represent us. Given Billy Graham or this woman, who would you have chosen to send to preach the gospel? It wouldn't have been this woman. Yet given the choice of sending Peter, who would eventually lead 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, or John, who would record the gospel, or Thomas, who traveled as far as India preaching the gospel after the, the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus set aside all of these and invited this woman, this Samaritan woman, to partner with him for sowing the seed of the gospel in her village. She was chosen to represent God Most High, and what does that teach us? Well, it teaches us, church, that we're all qualified to go if we will trust Jesus and in obedience do what he has commanded us to do. What did he command her to do? He said, go, tell your husband, and come here. That's what he told her to do. What has he told us to do? He has told us, go make disciples and bring them here. Bring them. Go make disciples. Bring them to Jesus. God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's Colossians 1.12. But it is your faith and it's your willing obedience that qualifies you to go and tell others the good news. Of God's grace. Anyone committed to obedience is qualified. Now we are all to be being equipped. So we're called to sow, we're commanded to go, we're qualified to go and to sow and call them to come. And we are to be being equipped. You don't get equipped once and done. You are called to be being equipped. It's why the church meets regularly. It's why we preach and teach from the scripture regularly. It's why we study the Bible regularly. Because your equipping is not a once and done thing. It is an ongoing. You are commanded to be being equipped. That's why Jesus keeps giving to the church the gifts of pastors and teachers and evangelists. It's why we still have men today who go out and start churches and plant churches as apostles, not apostles as we read in the New Testament who have the authority to write scripture. It's why there's still prophets today, not men who are foretelling the future, but men who are proclaiming the gospel. 
the Word of God and bringing correction of sin where it needs to be brought. Therefore, we have all been qualified by God. None of us should feel timid about our qualification to go and to sow and tell the story of God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. We are all qualified to go and tell our own story of God's salvation. You notice the lady didn't have, she didn't have all of her theology lined out. But what she did have was the story of her salvation. What she had was the testimony of what Jesus did in her life. That's what you are qualified to go. This isn't what level of theological knowledge you have. It's, it's your ability and it's your willingness to go and to tell others about God's salvation in your life. And when you go and you tell others about God's salvation in your life, as we tell them, they come to faith in Christ through the gospel that you deliver to them. And they too are called to go and tell others their own story of God's salvation. And this is how we come to see more and more sowers sowing seed in the fields. And this is how we come to see the harvest multiplied. With this in mind, the goal of pastors and teachers is to equip those that God has qualified through faith in Jesus the goal of equipping is not so that they can go. As we see with the woman of the well, as soon as she trusted, she was qualified to go and tell and bid them to come to the Savior. And that's what Jesus commanded her to do. The goal of equipping is given to us in, in Ephesians 4.11. It's that we all come to the unity of the faith for the building up of the body of Christ. That we grow to maturity and through our obedience to all that Jesus commands, give witness to his goodness and his glory. We are to equip and commission every believer to spread the gospel. We are to hold the priesthood accountable to their natural duty. Effectiveness in evangelism can't be profiled. Looking into a crowd and attempting to identify the potential evangelist is a mistake. The only way to discover effective evangelists is to train everyone and allow faithfulness to reveal fruitfulness. I can look out to all of you guys, and I might, in my natural understanding, say, well, he'd be a good evangelist. He'd be a good seed sower. She'd be good. Man, if they just would go out. But see, that's wrong. Because none of us would have picked this woman of Samaria to go and preach the gospel to the village. We'd say, oh, my God, she's the worst person to sin. She's got the worst reputation. No one's going to listen to her. They're going to think she's a kook. But that's our, that's our lack of faith in the power of the gospel. See, it's not your ability to sell the gospel that changes men's hearts. It's the power of the gospel. You're not called to be a salesman. You're just called to be a messenger. And it is the power of the message that changes. It's, it wasn't the woman who changed the village. It was... The gospel of Christ delivered through her that changed the village. It was the power of God that changed the village. She was just the messenger. She was just the jar of clay. She was just the carrier of light. She wasn't the light. She carried the light. It was the light 
that changed the village. It's the light that changed you. It's the light that will change your family, your loved ones. So don't profile people. Don't, don't worry about who looks the best or who looks the most qualified. We are commanded, all of us, to go, to sow, and to tell them to come to Jesus. This is why we are to equip and commission every believer to spread the gospel. We're to hold the priesthood accountable because it is our duty. We have all been called kings and priests unto God. So we are all to carry out the mission of the church. The church exists first and foremost to glorify God. Secondly, the church exists to build up the saints and third, and equally as important, the church exists to evangelize the world. That evangelizing of the world doesn't begin across an ocean. It begins in your own home, in your own life. These three truths are not separate from one another, but they are woven together into one so as to create the threefold mission of the church. The church is to glorify God as it builds up the saints and evangelizes unbelievers. We don't just pick one of those to do. Say, well, I'm good at two, two out of three of those, so I'm just going to concentrate on two out of three. No. No. They work together as one. So if you are trusting in Jesus, you are called to sow. You are commanded to go and to obey. You are qualified to go and sow and call them to come. You are to be being equipped to carry out the mission of the church. And as we commit to fulfill the mission of the church, we can be assured that we will glorify God, we will build up the saints, and we will evangelize the unbelievers in our life and beyond. You are called, you are commanded, you are qualified, you are being equipped. Obey his command. Go sow. Go call them to come. Go make disciples. Go glorify God. Go build up the saints. Go spread the good news to every corner of your field. Saturate it with seed. The seed of God's word, the seed of the gospel, the seed of what God has done in your life. Go and sow and call them to come to Jesus. That's not God's suggestion to us. This is God's command to us. So as we get ready to come to the table, this table, every week we come. Every week we are reminded of what Jesus has done for us. And we should be reminded of what Jesus has done for us in making us a part of his plan, his purpose, his mission in his story. So I call all of us, your pastor included, to repent of our unbelief, to repent of our fear, to repent of 
confessing that we're not qualified. To repent of looking at all the reasons why we cannot when Jesus has given us every reason why we can. Go tell your story. Go tell the story of your salvation. Go tell the world what Jesus has done for you. If you've never trusted Jesus, you can trust him right now. You can call upon his name right now. Trust in him. Believe in him. And know that he has taken away your sin. He's taken your punishment. And he's given you his life. Church, come to Jesus. Come to the table.